The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. Here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm Benjamin Shapiro, the executive producer of the MarTech Podcast, and today we've got a special episode for you, which is going to be guest hosted by Doug Bell, who's the CMO of Chief Outsiders. Doug is a veteran CMO with a background in helping growth stage B2B SaaS companies reach their true potential, and I'm thrilled to invite him and some of his friends to take the microphone and share their knowledge with you, our loyal MarTech Podcast listeners. Okay, here's a special episode of the MarTech Podcast, guest hosted by Doug Bell, the CMO of Chief Outsiders. Hello, marketers. My name is Doug Bell from Chief Outsiders. And today, we're going to discuss leveraging platforms for business revitalization and growth. Joining me today is Ted Moser, who is the senior partner at Profit. Profit is a growth and transformation consultancy known for blending insights and inspiration at every step. They pair a rigorous, empathetic approach to problem solving with bold creativity-shaped sound, original solutions. And today, Ted and I are going to be talking about revitalizing your business through the right platforms. Okay, here's my conversation with Ted Moser, the senior partner at Profit. Ted, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Doug. Pleasure to be here. It's good to have you on this rainy, rainy Oakland day. Ted and I are both Oakland residents. I thought he was in somewhere in the Northeast trapped in a storm. That's how cold it is for us here in Oakland today, folks. Ted, I don't know much about Profit. I'd be curious if you tell us a little bit more about it and about your role there. Thanks, Doug. You can think of Profit as a bit of a hybrid between a management consultancy that focuses on growth and a creative agency that focuses on how to make it happen in market. So we help clients think about the ways they can grow from innovating at the business model level to the offer level, branding and rebranding what it is they're doing and making their brands stand for evolving brand equities as their markets and offers shift, and then really excelling at the way they go to market. And that's really where platforms come in that we'll talk about in a minute. Finally, organizing themselves for growth, their operating models and how those need to shift in order to enable growth. So we're all about what we call uncommon growth, and we work to help our clients achieve that. And Ted, what's your role at Profit? I'm a senior partner. We're about 600 folks around the world. We've got global offices. So my job is to bring thought leadership as well as account leadership. I have worked in the tech space for a few decades, first in a management consultancy that was a spinoff of Bain & Company, and then eventually Profit. So I work with companies that are software intensive. Many of them are point product software firms aiming to become platform companies. So they're in the midst of transition of integrating their product lines. 
Others are just starting down the process of becoming a platform company. They're hardware services with a smattering of software, and they're going to often through acquisition heavy up on the software side of what they do. And then that immediately takes them into platforms. And then I work with companies that were born as platforms, the Googles, the Salesforces, the Microsofts of the world, the folks who you would associate with that, the Atlassians, et cetera. You would say, hey, that's what they're all about from the get-go and help them consider how they want to evolve as platform companies in the midst of a lot of heavy competition, often from convergent players from next door markets where everyone is fighting for the same customer data and trying to use it in advantaged ways. So reading my work with clients, it's global and it varies depending on the situation, but it's all around this theme of platforms. It's really what inspired me to write the book. Yeah. And I think that this idea of a platform as this monolithic, always existing, evergreen thing, really, it's more dynamic than it's ever been. And, and Ted, I'm going to go back to my time machine, back to the early 2000s when the Clinton Justice Department was pursuing Microsoft and saying, you know, you're a monopoly. And at that point, they were in many ways a platform. And what, what they kept coming back to was, we have more competition than you can imagine. And we look forward to our platform evolving based on that competition because the government's position was, you're a monopoly. Well, I think they were looking forward to the Google sphere and you know how quickly that was emerging for them. So this idea of a dominant platform just doesn't exist. And what you do for organizations requires a lot of credibility and trust to be invited into that strategic level. So what I really want to understand a bit better is this idea of platform and definition of platform. But before we get there, you wrote a book recently, just published a book. And, and really, this is going to be the grist for our conversation today. Tell us about the book and what the intent is and what you're hoping to achieve with it. The book is called Winning Through Platforms. That's the title. The subtitle is How to Succeed When Every Competitor Has One. So it's a competitive strategy and growth strategy book. It's structured as a playbook, much like a sports playbook, where I can think about what plays would help me in crowded platform markets to stand out with customers, to earn customer choice, to grow customer value. And how do I do that in a world where my customer has plenty of platform options? I'm no longer special by being a platform company. So we felt there was a need in the market. Platforms haven't been around as a tech stack for that long. And they, as a result, haven't been around as a marketing discipline or as a go-to-market discipline for that long either. So I was inspired to write the book because I watched all the shifts that happened when the internet came in in the late 1990s, when websites became a thing. And companies got to watch their customers shop or choose and speak to them as they were choosing in order to influence their choice at that pre-purchase journey. So digital had lit up the choose journey at that moment, but it hadn't yet lit up the use journey. When I was a customer of something, I disappeared from view and I was no longer in contact from the company that might have sold me something. And then between 2005 and 2010, a couple big shifts happen in infrastructure. Apple and Samsung's developed smartphones and AWS, GCP, Google Cloud Platform, and Microsoft Azure began to rent out their data centers in what we now call cloud service provider business models. And what that did was that lowered the investment and technologically enabled companies to now watch their customers use what it is they have acquired from a company and interact with them as they're using. So we talk about platforms in a very customer-centric way. We say they're the tech stack that lets me observe my customers in use and add value during use and then collect all that data exhaust or telemetry that comes from those interactions, as well as all the customer energy that 
comes from them if I do my job well. And the next time the customer's choosing, be advantaged in being able to earn the customer's next choice, as well as being advantaged in knowing what they would most want to buy next because of what I learned from them during their use journey. So we've written Winning Through Platforms as a playbook that companies use to find the plays that will move them forward. There's 24 plays. Some of them are around how to strategically consider the design of my platform, its role in my business, how to design it from a customer experience perspective. Some of them are about how to grow it through best practices in terms of go-to-market teaming and how to grow it through innovation. And some of them are about how to align internally the relationships that executives have and teams have because platforms no longer let us work in silos or in smaller groups. A decision that somebody makes will ripple through the platform to affect someone else's decisions. And so how do teams choreograph their business work together better, act more as a performance team? So the third part of the book are plays that are around alignment and superior performance. And our hope is that in the book, amongst those 24 plays, any executive, any person who's working in go-to-market could read the book and say, these three plays out of the 24 will move us forward next, or those five plays will be the plays that we need to deploy, given their situation, given their market realities, given what's happening in their business, that they can use the plays in the playbook for growth. And you embedded in there, really, you talked about the definition of a platform, but could you actually unpack that a bit more for us? And then I'd love to hear more about this idea of the division between choose and use. Platform is one of the most confusing words in business today because sitting around an executive table will be different executives who play in different parts of the tech stack and they'll all use the word platform, but they'll all mean something different. So the movie that's going on in one executive's head is different than the movies going on in the other as they say the same sentence. Those who are creating data, let's say through IoT sensors, they may call themselves, hey, we're the IoT platform, we're the data creating platform. The part of the tech stack that gets outsourced to a cloud service provider, they'll say, we're going to go use platform as a service from Amazon Web Services. Then there's going to be a proprietary platform, which the company is coding. It's its own secret sauce that it's not outsourcing to a third party cloud service provider. You know, it could be analytical engines, could be algorithms, could be codes in data blocks. It's definitely data sets. It would be APIs. And that bundle will be called our platform by the technical teams, by the CTO, by the folks doing the coding. The go-to-market folks will want to talk to their customers and say, hey, we have a platform for you that you can run on. And it integrates these workflows or life flows that were before were separated. And it delivers these benefits because it does that. So they're going to use platform in an experiential way. Now, they might call the way that the customer experiences a platform, maybe called a cloud, it may be called an app, super app, it may be called an exchange, it may be called a console, it may be called an automobile, it may be called a mattress, it may be called a pair of shoes. Different things are going to have those sensing on them. So the, depending on the marketers and the way they talk to their customers, they may be using the word platform as well. Then the CFO is going to want to talk to Wall Street and say, we're a platform company with a platform business model. And finally, the customer might look back at the vendor and use the word platform. Let's say the CEO of a chemical company might say, Salesforce is our platform for CRM. And what they mean is we rely on Salesforce. We've organized our processes to work in Salesforce and we depend on it to excel. And that's what they use the word platform to mean. 
So everyone's using the word platform. It's like a multi-story building where you ask, where's the floor on the building? And the answer is, well, it depends on what floor I'm standing on as to what's my ceiling and what's my floor. So what we do is just say, look, if you want to become a good platform company, you have one problem, which is several days in length, which is clean up your language and the way that you talk about platforms in between executives and to your people. Add some modifiers so that you can modify the word platform to mean this kind of things you mean. But that's easy to fix. You have a multi-year issue, which is many of your people went to business school and learned how to win through product lines. And the rules of how to win are different between product lines and platforms. So they need to learn a new set of rules. And many people might have them, but they might have them between their ears. It's not codified. There's no shorthand. There's no agreed upon ways to win. Like in the manufacturing world would say, hey, do you want to be the low cost provider? That's a play in manufacturing and everybody knows what that means. But how do we come up with plays in a platform world that everybody knows what they mean and we can talk in shorthand and collaborate together well? So that's the one that it takes several years to implement to get good as an enterprise. And that's what we wrote the book for, to sort of provide those plays that are the right starting point for companies to collaboratively excel in an era where platform business is becoming business. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. couple interesting things in there. First is going back to this idea of the structure of a platform. You talked about a number of paradigms that it could possibly be. You gave us a really great rubric to sort of understand and consume. It depends on, are you providing the platform? Are you consuming the platform in a lot of ways? But what I'm also hearing in there is, and I'm going to bring up a company name, which probably has different memories for our audience than maybe Ted, you and I would recognize, but IBM. It's largely a services company. It's as, as akin to a private version of the federal government as you can get, right? But at one point, they were the, if you will, computer platform that was out there. And their strategy was very much a vertically integrated strategy. And what I'm hearing from you is it's unusual for platform providers, now from the provider side, to be providing everything vertically integrated. In other words, you're partnering with different other service providers to service up your platform, which I'm certain drives a lot of complexity 
the thing I want to understand as well, because I think it's a really useful way to also understand this paradigm of platform, is this idea of the use side. So start us there if you can. Sure. The choose journey is sort of well-known in marketing. It's been around for 100 plus years since broadcast media and modern retail and the automobile all kicked us off on this mass market journey, right? I start with a stranger. I introduce that stranger to a brand. That brand engages them. And now with digital, I can then, if I learn about who that stranger is, as I get to know them, I can begin to shape my offer and speak to them in more targeted ways. So classically, we'd call that digital marketing. And that leads me to have a lead. And then either an e-commerce team or a sales force tries to take my lead and turn it into a sale. So that's all the choose side of the journey up until the moment that I go, yeah, I'm going to buy. Then I become a customer and I launch to the use side. And in a platform world, I don't disappear from view. I don't go to the dark side of the moon. I'm still visible because I'm using software that's cloud hosted or I'm sitting in a car that's sending telemetry back as to every turn I'm making. Or if I'm Nike, I might see when I'm out running through an Apple wristwatch back to your ecosystem versus owning it all, or through a Nike band, or in the future, maybe through sensors in the soles of the shoes themselves. But I can watch my customer use. And if I go to the Nike example, I can offer them trails to run on or teams to train with or sneakers to collect. And I can watch them using. And as I do, I get to know them better. And then I'm advantaged when they come around back to the choose loop, no longer as a stranger, but this time as a customer, thinking of renewing their subscription, buying their next product, expanding their share of wallet that they spend on me. If I've done a good job, I've been collecting use journey data from community interactions, from in-use interactions, from what we call momentum marketing, just engaging the customer and what it could look like to be a broader customer. I'm collecting all that data. And then when I'm coming back around to the choose journey again, in sort of an infinity loop, now I'm advantaged because I've got all this information. Nike found that if it's apparel buyers belong to two or more Nike communities because of the interaction they have during the use journey, they have a 4X lifetime value difference between somebody who's not a member of those communities. So the value of the use loop is actually the most valuable side of the customer journey. And it's been dark for many companies until the last 10, 15 years. And for some companies, it's still dark. So it's a lot of latent value there. If I can gain visibility, gain interactivity, and then develop disciplines that make me a great platform company in making the use journey the most valuable side of the customer journey. So that's a little bit about the choose and use paradigm, where we see them seamlessly connected through platforms. Is that where you're finding businesses focusing when they're looking at revitalization? Is that if you will, we've spent so many years on the choose side of things. It's on that use side and engaging communities, engaging users. Is that where the revitalization movement is at this point? I do believe so. Let's take Disney as an example. They've been a great choose company for years, and they've been a champion of synergies from taking a character or taking a story, monetizing them through parks and hotels, monetizing them through media, monetizing them through merchandise. And that best company of creating synergies in the world, really, has mostly been on the choose side. What they've done in the last 10 years is invested on the use side. How do I use a magic band or an app to watch my customer use the park, watch them use the hotels? I'm adding value to them so that they buy the band or so they turn on the app. They're getting an enhanced experience, shorter rides, lines, engagement with characters as they go through 
being a virtual character in a story that's happening real time in the park in a Star Wars battle. So they're getting value out of being connected during use. Disney getting value because they're learning about what part of the Disney portfolio that customer cares about the most. So that's one data stream, obviously Disney Plus, of watching the customer watch Disney content rather than having them go to the movie theater and not being able to see them watching Disney content is another way that Disney is investing in platforms. And what's fascinating in terms of business revitalization, to your point, Doug, is how the data stream coming out of physical park use and the data stream coming out of media watching then enables them to have a more powerful merchandising business. Disney stores used to be on the corner. They shut those down and now Disney stores are an e-commerce company. But what's really interesting is that e-commerce company is now coming in at the moment that I've just watched a Disney movie or TV show on Disney Plus and offering me merchandise that I could only get connected to that media moment or understanding a game that I'm playing in the park and saying, how does that link back to Disney games that I might be offered to play at home? So they're taking data synergies that complement their monetization synergies and learning to use data across the enterprise. The ultimate fulfillment of this is something that we see called loyalty as a service. We see it in Amazon Prime, we see it in Uber One, and we might see it in Disney in the future where ironically, the customer pays the company to be loyal to the company. The customer says, I'll pay you this much a year and you're gonna give me a set of price breaks that more than repay my investment and I was planning to be loyal to you, but now I'm gonna search for every possible way to be loyal to you because I've put some money in and I'd like to get my value back out. So a company that creates such data synergies across a broad portfolio can actually revitalize its business by getting customers to pay to be loyal to them and to say, how deep can I go with you in gaining benefits back from you? So that's a story of a company that excelled at choose for decades and is now learning how to win through use as a complement to their choose excellence. If we think about it in the context of our backyard, and I'm going to call our backyard uh, Silicon Valley and the tech environment, specifically the software worlds we live in, Ted. Is it fair to say that a good example of organizations, I'm going to pick two here, that have really done a lot on the use side versus the choose side would be PLG Motion. So the folks like Atlassian or Dropbox sort of set the standard for how you can use data to actually grow revenue. And then a lot of non-PLG traditional SaaS organizations sort of are on that choose place and still struggling with choose. If you're listening in today, a lot of CEOs, a lot of CXOs listening in, and you feel like you're stuck in that place, Ted, what would you recommend? What are some next steps to get out of the choose and into that use? Is it about adopting a PLG motion? Again, we're back to this idea of our partners in the MarTech stack. Yes, definitely. The book is a good place to start just for a primer on things I could do. But I think the place I start is what's the role of a platform in my business portfolio? If I'm General Motors, I'm gonna come up with one answer. If I'm Atlassian, I'm gonna come up with a different answer. You know, Atlassian was a company who was mostly on-premise software. And on-prem software, while it's high-tech and it might be integrated, doesn't necessarily watch me use as much as it could be if it's cloud-hosted software. So for many of these companies, there's a journey from on-prem to in the cloud. And simultaneously, there's a journey from product by product in more of a siloed product value proposition to integrated workflows. And that's a transformation for companies. If I use my Atlassian example, if my loyalty is to Jira or to Trello or to Confluence, that's different than is my loyalty to a workflow where maybe all of those products contribute to a reimagined and superior workflow and are connected by a platform. So 
Atlassian is going through that very transformation itself, building its platform business, coming out of an on-premise product line business and going through that transformation. It's in any company, something that requires, back to your question of where does a leader start, strategy at the beginning, understanding the economics for the company and understanding the value to the customer. It requires then operational excellence and it requires culture change. Most technology executives made their living and made their careers out of being a siloed controller of an asset, usually called a product family or a product line that they grew and that got them promoted and they went to the next level. Platforms challenge everyone to be a shared player who contributes to a shared asset. So I can no longer be sort of the owner of my kingdom, if you will. I have to be more of a collaborative worker. So there's big culture shifts, big incentive shifts, big who is us questions within any enterprise workforce that platforms raise. So I'd say where an executive needs to start is back to this question of what's the role of a platform in my company. If I'm a software company, I probably am going to become a pure play platform, but I might become a holding company of several platforms. Meta would be an example. Alphabet would be an example. There, I'm no longer a single platform company, but I'm a holder of multiple platforms and I have backend synergies that I'm working on, as well as brand synergies that might be reinforcing up in front of the customer. But you know, I've got a YouTube and I've got a Google and I have a mineral on agricultural data, one of Google's moonshots. You know, what's the brand relationship and how are there synergies in front of the market? How are there synergies on the back end? So that's if I'm a software player. If I'm a physical product maker, I have different choices. One of the paradigms we talk about is an enhanced core platform company. So I'm sleep number, I'm a mattress maker. And if I put sensors in my mattress, I can watch you sleep through my sensors. I can adjust the firmness of different parts of the mattress as you sleep, the angles and the temperature. And I can monitor the quality of your sleeping through certain biometric signs and give you a score of your quality of sleep in the morning. And I've added value during use. I'm also, if I'm sleep number, doing studies with Mayo Clinic around how certain sleep changes affect apnea, affect cardiovascular health. And I can turn what looks like a mattress with a sleep comfortably at night value proposition to a longevity and a health value proposition. It can really transform what I'm offering the market through platform. So what I need to do if I'm a physical product maker is say, how does platform enhance what I do? And then finally, Doug, you get combination packages. You get Netflix. It started out as a digital distributor of movies and said, I want to get into a physical business. I'm going to make movies too. There we talk about the two-way synergies of Nicole Kidman will sign up for my movie because I've got 200 million viewers. And the next 10 million viewers will sign up for my subscription because Nicole Kidman is in the movie that they care about. So I have this positive interplay between enhanced core businesses and pure play platform businesses where they feed each other. You see Tesla doing similar things with what they're doing in a car. So there's different ways I can use platforms. And we try to outline that portfolio strategy choice at the very beginning of the book. And then I've got to next decide who are going to be my customers and my customer coalition of my platform. Because in a product line world, I have a product and a customer. In a platform world, I have a platform and a customer coalition. I have users, hands on keyboard, thumbs on screens, hands on steering wheel. I might have sponsors who are paying for others to use the platform. In a B2B world, a senior executive who says, I want us all to use this platform. I might have service providers. I might have advertisers. I might have rule makers. I might have creative experiences providers. All of those folks need a way to win through the same platform. 
So at the design level, I have to be very customer centric. I have to know how it's going to drive my business. And I have to create a value prop for each of those different types of customers that works for them, that makes them want to choose. And that's what's going to build a robust platform. So if I'm an executive, I start with portfolio role and I move to platform design. And I try to make sure that I have a differentiated offer in the market. So the more that I'm a chief strategy officer, a chief executive officer, that's the place to start. And then I get to go to operational excellence and culture. Well, I love that you started with the example of Atlassian, who was an on-premise provider for a very long time, because I think that gives a good representation to our software listeners about the level of effort necessary to make the change. If you recall back in the aughts, a huge number of on-premise companies were making the shift to this brand new thing called the cloud. And what I'm hearing really in there is there's a lot to consider from a change management standpoint. It is not a simple transition, but it's a critical and strategic transition. And the one thing we haven't talked about today, we're running out of time for, and I would love to have you come back and talk about this is what are the benefits? What are the benefits in terms of profitability growth? Now that we've sort of been weighed down by this idea of maybe some of the risks, what are we looking at in terms of advantages when we come back and talk about this more? I'd love to do that. I would leave you maybe with this question, Doug. If you put on a piece of paper, Every company who skipped putting up a website in 2000 and is still thriving today, how long would your list be? Probably you wouldn't be able to name one. And we'd say that five, 10 years from now, if I ask you to name companies who chose to skip being able to watch their customers use and were still thriving, I think also the paper would be blank. So thing I would leave companies with is we don't think this is a nice to have. I think this is probably an existential question of being able to light up my customer's use journey and then create win-win relationships through that. Well, I know that was rhetorical, but I came up with zero. I came up with zero too. Okay, Ted, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Doug. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Ted Moser, Senior Partner at Profit, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Ted and I are going to be talking about the three reasons platform excellence is essential to growth. If you can't wait until our next episode, would like to learn more about Ted, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit his company website at profit.com. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to our guest host, Doug Bell, the CMO of Chief Outsiders. If you'd like to get in touch with Doug, you could find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is marketadvocate. Or you could just visit his website, which is chiefoutsiders.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can even apply to be the next guest speaker on the MarTech Podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly on LinkedIn. My handle is Ben J. Shap, E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. 
Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.